Hello, and welcome to another episode of Did You Do Your Homework? The pop culture podcast that teaches you everything about anything, and we, where we make doing your homework actually fun. My name is Pete Romberg, lead editor at a digital curriculum development company, and a consumer of pop culture. Helping me each week to discuss our homework, build the curriculum, and share next episode's assignments are... Uh, Martha Sullivan, teen librarian by day and super nerd by night. Uh, Kaylee Scouten, data analyst and purveyor of all things weird. Cool. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm very tired. Daylight savings <laughs> time has not been kind to me. Kaylee, you just got back from a trip, right? I did. I was in Boston visiting PAX. Or, yeah, I guess visiting PAX would be. Cool. I was at PAX in Boston. What's PAX? PAX is the Penny Arcade Expo. Peter. I, I know Peter, what PAX really? is. I know what PAX <laughs> is. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, I'm going to tell you, but I'm <laughs> let, let me lean in real close and ask in a leading way. So, Kaylee, what's PAX? Or you could say for our listeners at home so that you don't, like, inspire a lot of derisiveness <laughs> Dread from, you. from the peanut gallery. <laughs> Uh, so, so what is PAX after we've not talked about it? Uh, so PAX is a gaming convention of both the video game and board game variety. A little bit leaning more towards video game than like Gen Con um, would be, which is pretty much strictly your tabletop games and very little uh, video games. Um, and... The PAX, I believe, stands for Penny Arcade Expo. At least that's what I tell myself, because that's what makes sense, because it is run by the Penny Arcade um, guys, Mike and Jerry. Cool. So you'll be sick for the next week, right, with whatever con bug was going around? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. I was only there for a day, so maybe not so bad, but yeah. Did you touch anything? I, I touched lots of things. You're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we go too deep into this week's topic, uh, it's only fair that we share with you guys our pop culture credentials. This is the part of the show, as we do every show, where we share the last piece of media we consumed, regardless of quality, prestige, guilty pleasure factor, what have you. Uh, Martha, let's start with you. Uh, for me, the last thing that I was working on before we started this call is a book called You Are Here, an owner's manual for dangerous minds by a woman named Jenny Lawson. Uh, I have no idea if you guys are familiar with uh, Jenny's work. She runs a website called The Blogus um, and has written two other books called Let's Pretend This Never Happened and Furiously Happy, which are both hysterically funny and also heartbreaking uh, memoirs that she's written about her struggles with mental health, um, the weird things she grew up with, and just her, her strange and wonderful life. Uh, this new book, You Are Here, is a combination coloring book and uh, advice book, affirmations, little stories. Um, she does a lot of work um, that's basically connecting people who struggle with mental health to each other uh, so that we know that we're not alone um, and that we have other people to reach out to and to help support us. So the You Are Here is sort of a compilation of everything she's learned um, and things that people have told her, uh, plus coloring book pages, which are her own artwork. Uh, she started sharing pieces that she drew, like ink line drawings, um, as a method for 
uh, helping her anxiety. And everyone on the internet was like, hey, do you mind if I print this off and color it? And she was like, I do not. But hmm, perhaps there is a book here. Uh, so that's what I've been um, perusing the last couple of days. I don't know. I just started coloring. It feels weird to color it because it feels like a, a book. So drawing in it is a little bit like, huh, I'm defacing something. But that's what it's meant for. So <laughs> Cool. I think I'm going to have to pick that up. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I, I'd imagine you're a fan of coloring books in general, right? As a uh, I genre. am. My, my planner is a coloring book. Hmm. Um, <laughs> no, it helps. It's a sort of a stress relief thing for me. It's very meditative. Um, if I... Yeah, I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed out. I'll just do a little bit of, like, I like the really um, delicate pictures. I don't do a lot of shading or anything. I'm not, like, an arty person. I just like markers and pen and ink stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's it's meditative for me. So I, I have a lot of them. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Uh, Kaylee, other than PAX, what's your uh, most recent pop culture exposure? I'm going to say that my most recent pop culture um, topic or thing would be the Venture Brothers, Ooh. which is <laughs> which is a show that started back in 2004 and has been on and off since then. I think they're currently on their seventh season. Um, nope, I'm sorry, sixth season. I just saw that it's on sixth season. And what it is is basically sort of your campy you know, spy, superhero, um, show. Satire? Satire, yes. Um, that's kind of like a reimagining of Johnny Quest, which, relevant. Um, based on last week's topic. Um, and it's just a bunch of fun, kind of wacky, zany, off-the-wall stuff. And if you have not seen it, I would highly suggest it. Um, it is currently still airing on Adult Swim, I believe. Um... And you can find most of their seasons on Amazon as well. I don't think that any of them are streaming currently, which is unfortunate. I, I know I go through phases with Venture Brothers, and I guarantee that the next week or two will be a phase where I watch a lot of Venture Brothers. Yay! <laughs> um, for myself, my credential is a book called The Wake by Paul Kingsnorth. Uh, it's a fascinating book, uh, nonfiction, or uh, that's a lie, it's fiction, um, <laughs> and it's set in England uh, right before, during, and after the Norman invasion, uh, 1066, but it's written in made-up Old English, so if you like... I, I'm not going to say if you like Chaucer, but if you like those NPR posts of, like, Chaucer giving advice on back-to-school stuff that's written in sort of Chaucerian language, and you want to read an entire book made up of quasi-fictional, but it feels pretty realistic, old English, everything is lowercase, punctuation goes out the window, uh, you know, says is spelled S-A-E-S, etc. Um, it's fascinating, it, it's weird how it feels like it's rewiring my brain a little bit um and the first couple pages are really tough to decipher and then you just start sort of mouthing the words on the page out loud and you're like oh that's what that word is uh, and then you see it 10 times and you're like that's just what that word is so is it is is it historical fiction or just like w what is it i i think it's historical fiction 
Um, I'm only okay. about 20 or 30 pages in. It's definitely fiction. Um, it's not fantasy or anything like that. Um, it's set in 1066. I don't know how historical proper it is, like how, how true that part of it is. Um, but I'm going to tentatively say it's historical fiction. Okay. Well, there we go. Those are our credentials. So we are going to uh, move on to the meat of the show. We're going to do something a little bit different this week. Instead of spending a lot of time talking about our individual homework assignments, we're going to mention our homework assignments, give a quick rundown on them. But then we're going to, you know, knowing that we three have, have all done our homework, hoping that you, the listener, have done your homework as well, we're going to use that as a springboard to spend most of the episode talking about the larger topic at hand that these three homework assignments are part of. And the topic that we are discussing this week is sidekicks. What are they? What are they for? How do they work within literature? And uh, how can they be inverted sometimes? So we'll, we're taking sort of a very wide view of sidekicks. Um, I picked the topic for this week. The homework that I assigned was... Uh, Batman and Robin, Volume 1, Batman Reborn, uh, by Grant Morrison. Um, graphic novel, um, trade paperback edition of, uh, a Batman run from, I want to say 2010. In the Batman and Robin graphic novel, uh, Bruce Wayne has died or been sucked through time or something. Uh, so Dick Grayson, the original Robin, is, uh, has assumed the mantle of Batman, um, Bruce Wayne's young 10-year-old son has assumed the mantle of Robin, and they are the opposite of the usual dynamic that you'd get from the dynamic duo. Uh, Batman is much more cautious, he's much more um, reserved, uh, I, I would say he's, again, he's Dick Grayson, um, used to being the sidekick. Damien, uh, uh, Bruce Wayne's son, who is the new Robin, is kind of a sociopath. He was raised by uh, his mother, who's an assassin, and has no problem causing a lot of violence, definitely wants to be the leader. So it's a, a dramatic inverse of the normal Batman and Robin dynamic. Should we do a quick roundtable of what we all thought about this? Uh, and then we'll go on to, to Martha's. Uh, we won't go too deep in the weeds on it, but just a quick check-in. What did you guys think on it? Um, Real fast, I think it's interesting that you think of that book as an inverse of the normal Batman-Robin dynamic. Hmm. I... I disagree. Um, <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Um, I've read a lot of Batman. Um, I like Dick Grayson. I like Dick Grayson the most when he is not kind of beholden to the Batman mythos. Mm -hmm. um, which actually, I thought that this book was really sort of an interesting take on that because he's kind of pushing against it, um, or pushing against the expectations of it. Uh, he doesn't feel super comfortable as Batman, is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. He's still um, he's still finding his footing there. Yeah, uh, I really don't like Damien just ever. Yeah. So, yep. Um. But yeah, it was not one that I'd read before. I thought it was fine. Grant Morrison's a solid writer. Didn't care for the art. Yeah, uh, Frank Quietly is the artist for the first couple issues, and he's phenomenal. But as it went on, it sort of wasn't. I think they switched art, uh, artists halfway through, and it sort of shows. Uh, also, it might not have been Quietly's best work. Kaylee, how about you? Um, I liked it. I kind of, 
I like that all of the, like, you've got your Batman, you've got your Robin, and you've got your villain. Or not, not I wouldn't necessarily say villain, just sort of taking the Red Hood. Mm-hmm. He takes sort of a different stand on things that is not, I don't necessarily, it's, I don't necessarily know if it's evil, it's just different. And they're all Batman sidekicks. Yeah, so so the Red Hood in, in this is sort of a, a, a killing vigilante, like, in, instead of just throwing the prisoner, the bad guys in jail, we should just kill them so then they won't commit more crimes. And, yeah. and it's revealed that he is actually um, uh, Jason Todd, who was the second Robin, um, who famously was killed by the Joker, but because it's comics, no one stays dead. Um, so he's back as, as this now killing uh, vigilante. And, and he gets his own sidekick. So there's lots of, lots of sort of sidekick things happening here. Cool. Well, Martha, how about you uh, talk about your homework? Sure. Um, I picked the graphic novel Nimona by Noelle Stevenson, uh, which was published in paper version in 2015. Um, it had existed as a webcomic, I think, starting from 2010 or 2011, somewhere around there. Um, uh, Noelle Stevenson, the artist, had started it, and then eventually it turned into her... Uh, BFA thesis eventually being published by um, HarperCollins, I believe. Uh, But it is the story in brief of a little girl named Nimona who seeks out the evil scientist character Ballister Blackheart because she is determined that he take her on as his sidekick. Uh, Ballister lives, or the the, uh, book occupies a world that is... I would say fantasy with some science, uh, sci-fi elements, uh, but Ballister is um, in opposition to a um, group that kind of controls the the kingdom. And as as the book goes on, you find out is sort of nebulous in morality. Um, but his his nemesis is the golden armored. Uh, Ambrosius Goldenloin, a knight of the realm. So visually you have you have two characters that are visually coded as kind of the hero and the villain. Um, but as you read the story, uh, you start to understand that the actual roles in the in the book are much more fluid, I guess, and that the most evil character in the book may actually be, or the closest to an actual villain in the book may actually be Nimona herself. Um, and the closest to a good guy that the book has may actually be Ballister. Um, but yeah, I picked it because I, I feel like it, it starts off with a very kind of rote sidekick villain relationship. And by the end, it's just, it's all topsy-turvy. Uh, so I like the way that it subverts your expectations on who's in charge, who's driving the plot. Um, and also even as basic as who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Thoughts? I I love Nimona. Um, I I started reading it when it was being published serially uh, as a webcomic and and got hooked like immediately. Um, so I was really excited when you uh, said that this would be the homework for the week. Um, I do think that Nimona is definitely like maybe she is the bad guy. Um, issue comes up, but I think that they, to me, always the clearest bad guy was the director of the um the Magical Science Institute. 
Um, mm-hmm. Beyond her, yeah, like beyond her, Nimona definitely is. There's lots of shades of gray, lots of good fluidity. Um, and as I know we're going to get into soon, I love it because there's lots of inversions of what the sidekick should be to the, um, I don't know, the, the whomever they're sidekicking for. Um, you know, sort of like the who's, who is active, who is following um, in that sort of relationship. Uh, I love Nimona as well. Um, this was actually my second time reading it through, and it was really great to revisit it. Um, and like like what has been already previously said, I love the fluidity where it's just like, you're kind of along for the ride. You don't really know, well, not that you don't know, but people's roles sort of like tend, tend to change and shift around a little bit. And that's really interesting to me. And it's, 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 it's kind of like an interesting subject when you do start it. Like you don't usually see this, the sidekick of the evil character. You, it's usually like, oh, you know, your typical Batman Robin where it's just like, your sidekick is for the good guy. And so it's really interesting to see your sidekick for the quote unquote bad guy, because as we do learn, is he really what he appears to be? Or are there more evil forces at work? Cool. If there's no other thoughts on Nimona uh, specifically, um, Kaylee, what was your homework? My homework um, was three episodes from Adventure Time. So we have um, Tree Trunks, and all of these aired back in 2010, which is the first season of Adventure Time. So we got episodes four, five, and six, um, Tree Trunks, which Finn and Jake go on a journey with Tree Trunks to find a rare crystal gem apple um, and sort of deal with what it takes to be a hero a little bit because they totally underestimate tree trunks um as a as a hero type um we've got the inchid the inchiridian which i know i've mispronounced that um finn and jake again rejoin our heroes as they go on a quest for a magical book and then we have The Jiggler, which is probably one of my absolute favorite episodes, um, where they find a baby creature that they then have to take care of. And so it's sort of like a more different aspect of what it takes to be sort of like a good hero type. So, Pete, what did you think? <laughs> um, I like Adventure Time a lot. I don't watch it often, and I like it more as an idea, just because I don't watch it often. Um, but this was a wonderful excuse to go and, and you know get to watch a couple episodes. Um, I thought that for this specific topic, the Tree Trunks one, um, and I'm glad you said that name in your intro, because like, for the last half hour I've been like, was her name <laughs> Mrs. Trunks or Trunks or what was it? Yeah, Tree Trunks. Um that was really, 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 really interesting for this specific topic because you have Finn and Jake are already kind of a sidekick, sidekicker relationship, kind of. Like, theirs, theirs is weird and, and could be sort of more of a um, true partnership. Um, yeah. But then Tree Trunks is definitely like, let's bring a third person in who is who needs a lot of shepherding, um, but also, like, 
is right at the end, like, is, is the solution. Um, and as always with Adventure Time, the voice acting is just absolutely on point across the board. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, I don't particularly care for Adventure Time. Um, although I did think that it was appropriate for this week's theme, um, especially because I feel that like Jake and Finn, it, it, the sort of the obvious answer is that Jake is Finn's sidekick, but I, I do feel that occasionally out of necessity, Jake kind of takes over the hero role, like when he needs to. Um, I'm interested to know Kaylee, why you picked these three episodes. I picked these three episodes because I felt like they were a big, like a, not a big chunk, a good chunk in the first season that kind of explore them becoming adventurers and heroes and not necessarily just, oh, here they are, they're going to go be doing, you know, exciting adventure things. It was more like it sort of dealt with their starting. I don't want to say beginning because I don't ever actually think we see their beginning. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just, I... I was um, interested to know because, as I said, I am not the biggest Adventure Time fan. So I would have said that you could pick any episodes. Um, but clearly, these these three are yeah. particular. And I just was wondering kind of what the, what the logic was there. That makes yeah, total and, sense. Yeah, and they were... So the thing about Adventure Time is sometimes they go off and focus on, like, other characters. Where this was three episode sort of in a row towards the beginning that focused on Finn and Jake and not necessarily side characters. And that's a really good transition, I think, to one of the topics I want to use these three homework assignments to springboard into and in that we've sort of been, I don't want to say dancing around, but that we've sort of by necessity not like been talking around a little bit in that is just, what is a sidekick? Um, uh, um, Looks like, Martha, thank you for doing some quick research on this one, but TV Tropes calls it the uh, <laughs> the friends and helper of the main hero. Um, do we think that that's an accurate definition? Uh, because in, I'm going to use um, both Batman and Adventure Time here. Um, you've got, in Adventure Time, Jake and Finn, uh, the main characters, and then they have a cadre of, of followers. Are all those followers, the, uh, the Princess Bubblegums and the, the Vampire what queen princess um uh queen i guess uh are they sidekicks are they friends are they followers um ditto with batman robin is obviously his sidekick but what about the enormous bat family that also exists are they all sidekicks or at that point do you start needing a different term um for them and doesn't matter yeah, for me, the role of sidekick kind of falls to someone. I actually, I use the TV tropes um, definition as sort of a starting point for us, but I actually don't totally agree with it because I think it's too broad. Um, for me specifically, a sidekick is not only a friend or helper of the main hero, but somebody whose role is to support them. Um, so I actually think that you can have, you can end up with stories where the main character may be the sidekick. Um, I threw Chuck in here as the example for that because uh, Chuck in the, in the TV show 
um, I think even though he's the main character of the show, in fact, the title character, uh, ends up taking a much more supporting or sidekick role, um, at least in the beginning of the show, to characters like Sarah, um, who are the actual trained spies to his kind of uh, accidental spy. Um, so I, I think that, you know, saying main hero implies that your your sidekick is always going to be in a secondary role. And I don't think that's true. Um, yeah, they also I also did appreciate that on TV Tropes, the sidekick page, they have about like, I don't know, 15 or 17 different kinds of sidekicks <laughs> that I was kind of uh <laughs> going through that I, I appreciated the classifications for for those i would agree and i would say even further that i to me a sidekick is a it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship um i don't think that the that that an ensemble cast necessarily can lend itself well to having a sort of side no i shouldn't say that a, a large group to me isn't a sidekick even if you have one leader would you say that it's then it becomes more of a team. I think so. Um, and even if you have, like, one clear leader, um, it's still a team rather than a, a sidekick relationship. Um, yeah, sort of like Big Hero 6. Yes, yes, exactly. That uh, they're... Mm, Go ahead. Except that I think that even within those teams, you can have hero sidekick relationships yes like sure. i was gonna use i was gonna use how i met your mother as an example um because i i think that barney acts as sidekick to ted or at least he thinks of himself that way mm -hmm. um but for big hero six i think you could call baymax a hero's sidekick i mean he's functioning essentially as a support for hero both yeah, in physical and emotional capacity Sure, but that that still comes down to a like you're looking at one duality within yeah. the team. Like you wouldn't say that yeah. the team has a sidekick role to hero. True, but you would say that true that this one duality has. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I guess I was hearing that as like a a mutually exclusive proposition. No. Um. Yeah, I, I think you can easily break down a large group and say this pairing has a sidekick. Um, relationship this pairing does but when you look at the six eight people who make up the group then you can't say that um, you know Ted is the main character and so everyone else in that show is his sidekick um, whereas you could say that Barney is his sidekick um, and Barney is part of also like he's also part of the larger ensemble group um, that makes up the main cast of that show mm-hmm so I think we should talk a little bit about playing the sidekick trope straight before we get into get into wacky subversions and inversions. Um, Pete, tell me about Wesley Crusher, because I've never watched Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> um, so I'm bringing up Wesley Crusher because I don't know if he is a sidekick. Um, he is, so in, in especially the early seasons of Next Gen, um, he was an audience insert character in a big way. He's the the young boy who's all gee whiz um young kids watching the show could sympathize with him uh young girls watching the show could develop their first crushes or guys uh could develop their first crushes um uh, so 
I don't know if you can call him... I, I brought him up because I wanted to talk, and this works well with the ensemble thing, too. If you have a show like Next Generation, which, um, you know, Martha, structurally works very similar to original Star Trek in the sense that you have, um, you know, your large bridge crew, um, of whom there's multiple, you know, specific episodes, some focusing on Data, some focusing on Picard or Riker, um, but you have basically a group of six or eight people who are good at their jobs and function basically as a unit for most episodes. Um, and then you have this sort of literal kid character um, who sometimes saves the day or whatever, um, and sometimes just watches or gets in trouble. Um, but he also has no clear foil, no, no clear um, lead for him to sidekick to, rather than maybe the Enterprise itself. Um, so how do we think about characters like that? Are they considered sidekicks, or are they just um, audience insert characters, uh, fan service characters, um, if if they sort of play the role that is often played by the sidekick, but without someone to sidekick for? Yeah, I think the I think that having someone to sidekick for is sort of the defining characteristic of a sidekick, um, no matter what other trappings are kind of inherent in that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're talking about an ensemble cast like Star Trek has. Um, but yeah, audience surrogate doesn't necessarily equate to sidekick. So I, I don't I don't know that that adds up to uh, to sidekick dumb, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. So we can throw Wesley out the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, but what about so so staying on staying on Star Trek Next Generation real fast. What about someone like Data? Um, and then the question would be, who is he sidekicking for? Picard. Mm. See, I would almost view uh, Riker as Picard's sidekick. But I have only ever seen the Star Trek Next Generation movie uh, with the Borg Queen, where Data gets like temporarily subsumed by Borg. So that is the entirety of my TNG experience. <laughs> I think, and, and what about this as an idea? In a, in a military situation, and obviously T- TNG and Star Trek strives to be like future, not military, but they still have ranks. Um, like there's a captain on the, on the, or anywhere where there's like a hierarchical situation. I don't know if you can have that sort of sidekick dynamic because it's not so much you're someone's sidekick, it's that you're someone's superior or subordinate. Um, in in a like in an actual like official capacity rather than simply a, a relational capacity. Do you think that changes it and, and would preclude sidekickdom or or do you disagree? I'm sorry, if do I think what would preclude sidekickdom? Having that um official hierarchy in their relationship so so Riker and Data are both actual subordinates to Picard because Picard is the captain of the ship and they are the first mate or the uh, Data's like maybe the science officer or something um so because they are in a an official capacity of being a subordinate rank to that person to me that sort of puts a kink in the sidekick relationship because it's not simply a, um, like a, 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 a relational sidekick, but it is a explicit hierarchical 
difference? I think that you have that in something like the classic superhero sidekick relationship, um, even if you don't have like military or nautical titles. Like Batman's not a captain, but he's still in charge. Um, and he has a personal relationship with his Robins, but when they're in costume, it's very like, I am the captain of this team. Kaylee, thoughts? I think it gets a little bit complicated when we do talk about Star Trek because they are more of a military team. So it's not so like I feel I feel one of the things that is really big about sidekicks and heroes is the fact that I feel like the sidekick does it intentionally where it's I am going to help you out and I'm going to be your sidekick. Whereas I feel like with Star Trek, everybody is hired in their role. So I don't necessarily know if it's as like intentional, if that makes sense. Okay. So what about something like Ahsoka Tano in uh, Star Wars, who is Anakin's Padawan during the Clone Wars? Um, so she's assigned to him yes. or, um, but I, th so, um, would you call her a sidekick? Honestly, I'm not as familiar with her character as I probably should be. Um, okay, well, did a question for Anakin and Obi-Wan in the Star Wars prequels. That's a really tough question. When I think Star Wars sidekicks, I think like R2 and 3PO. Um, or even like Chewie, uh, you know, might be Han's yeah. sidekick. Um, yeah. When we get, I mean, maybe it's just because I hate the prequels so much, but I, I don't know if I would necessarily think of Obi-Wan and Anakin. Like, they're a mentor-mentee role, um, but I don't know yeah. if that's the same as a sidekick role. Whereas, like, Chewie isn't Han's mentee. Uh, he's his muscle. Um, and friend. Yeah. But, like... I it, was gonna say, but at some point, Han hired him. No, it's a life debt. It's a life debt. <laughs> <laughs> which is um, which is still again, not a choice i guess i'm wondering no. are we positing are we positing that for a sidekick relationship to exist there also needs in addition to any sort of official uh role there also needs to be a measure of emotional involvement because that's I what it sounds like you guys are positing and i just want to make yeah i just want to um i guess be clear that that that's what we're talking about I don't know that I agree, but I'm more than happy to take that as the point of discussion. Yeah. Maybe. It, to me, it's you're going to hate this. Uh, I think it's really just that as soon as you start throwing official, officially recognized hierarchical relationships, it all feels a little bit more hinky to me um, than, a, than a straightforward sidekick, um, sidekicker relationship. Um, which is a lot vaguer than what you were trying to to nail down. Um, what about what about Kirk and Spock? Going back to the beginning. Mm. Mm. <laughs> See, I, I win. I, I, I feel like to me with Star Trek, you got your Kirk bones and Spock triumvirate, right? It's three legs of a stool. Yeah. Um, and like Kirk, as captain, can call the shots at the end of the day. Um, but the show is about those three people, and then their assorted other people. So what about... All right, and Pete, this is one that you have written down. Yes. 
Um, in the Il- Patroclus and the Iliad, uh, Patroclus, for those who may not be familiar with the Iliad, is some kind. Um, so he and um, Achilles. Achilles are no matter what Troy the movie may want you to believe, they're they're totally boning. Um, and <laughs> Patroclus gets killed. And basically causes Achilles to, like, lose it. Um, but Patroclus is a subordinate to Achilles, isn't he? Not in a way that we would think about it now. They had that classic ancient Greek mentor-mentee role. Um, and uh, I, there might actually be discussion about who is actually the mentor and who is the mentee in that um, situation. Um, oh, I thought I thought Patroclus was a great deal younger than Achilles. Possibly. I don't remember that for sure. I I know that there's like a, okay. a famous vase that has Patroclus with a beard and Achilles clean shaven, which sort of makes it seem like it's the other way around. Um, classicists, write in and correct us. Um, but, but, but because like, because that's not a like, Achilles is the colonel and Patroclus is the sergeant or whatever. Um, it, it, it feels different to me. It feels more like Patroclus is a sidekick to Achilles um, in many the same ways that Robin is the sidekick to Batman. Um, and also in many ways that are different than how Robin is a sidekick to Batman. Uh, I, I wanted to bring Expand. up the Iliad. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to bring up the Iliad just as a launching point to the idea that the sidekick trope goes back 3,000, 4,000 years um, whenever the, the Iliad Fair. was written. Um, so we've sort of been dealing with these... In, a lot of sidekick also, I think, become sort of mentor-mentee. Um, and that sort of is, is first sort of introduced there. Expanding on the idea, uh, partly I was making a joke about that, uh, was it the Corruption of the Innocent book or whatever? Um, the the one that started the, the comic... Uh, uh, the morality scare. Yes, the morality scare, thank you. Um, because in, in Greek society at the time, the relationship of Achilles and Patroclus is very different than the relationship of any Batman and Robin, uh, pairing that has existed so far. True. Um, speaking of Batman and Robin, I want to get specifically back to Batman and Robin, uh, the Morrison book Mm -hmm. that Pete, you assigned, um, one of the things that I did really enjoy about it is that you have, so in the Batman role, you have Dick Grayson, who started life as Robin. So he's currently taking over for Batman, and his Robin is Damien, and they're fighting against another previous Robin, who was Jason Todd. <laughs> and in all of this, Tim Gray- Tim Drake is sitting somewhere and feeling very left out. Um, but I, I'm fascinated <laughs> by this idea <laughs> Of three sidekicks, um, two of whom have basically graduated, um, and kind of the the shades of almost bitterness and resentment you get from all three of these boys throughout that book, um, just yeah. about their respective roles in the the Batman story, uh, as it were. Well, um, and as a fun aside, um, Jason Todd has himself picked up a sidekick. So you actually have a a, a, a dual pairing of, of three of them related to Batman directly, one of them related to Batman indirectly. But you have the the full 
it, it, it's it's a four-way fight, not just a three-way fight. Um, but yeah, so I guess what, what I'm wondering about this book is what specifically uh, does this say about the relationship of a sidekick to their hero? Because um, we tend to think of it, I think, as a good thing. Like you have this, you have a, a mentor-mentee relationship um, that is frequently very uh, close. Um, but at the same time, you also have a former Robin, in this case, Dick Grayson, who is desperately weighted down by this kind of mantle he's been forced to assume. Uh, you have the current Robin, Damien, who is filled with bitterness that he doesn't get to be in charge. And then you have another former Robin, um, Jason, who is, f I mean, he died, like, in service to Batman. He was killed real dead. Um and got mm -hmm. brought back to life by a Lazarus pit, which takes a bit of your soul every time it revives you. So he has a lot to be angry about. And I think you could argue that all of the things, all of the really negative things that these guys are feeling is as a direct result to their relationship to Bruce Wayne. I mean, as much as yeah. Batman is a fun adventure comic and stuff... Ain't nobody going to argue that there are any healthy relationships going on 90% of the time. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I think you tend to see that a lot, though, in superhero sidekick relationships. Like, sidekicks get captured a lot. Sidekicks, uh, sidekicks get dead a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and you brought up uh, the Matt Fraction um, Hawkeye. Um, I did. So, I mean, springboard on there, because that's a fascinating... They have a much healthier relationship, I think. Well, Kate Bishop has never been fridged or captured. Right. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> Which yeah, helps Matt... a lot on healthy relationships. <laughs> so, Matt Fraction wrote Hawkeye um, starting in... Let me pull this date up. He started in the Marvel Now... Uh, run, which I want to say started back in 2010 at this point. Um, but his Hawkeye run is largely considered to be one of the best ever. Uh, the first volume of it that you can buy right now is called My Life is a Weapon. And basically it, it envisions, it's, it's Hawkeye, Clint Barton's life outside of being on the Avengers. So he lives in a terrible rundown tenement um, doing his best to like take care of the people who live in his apartment building from the mob that owns it. Uh, he doesn't make any money. Um, you know, he, he has no superpowers. So when he's not on the Avengers, he's just a regular guy. Uh, and specifically for the purposes of this episode, I wanted to call out his relationship to a girl named Kate Bishop, who first appeared in a book called the young Avengers, I believe. Um, but she is basically, I mean, she, she, she has her own book right now that is also called Hawkeye, basically as a shorthand. Like she decides that she's going to be Hawkeye's partner, um, sidekick. She is younger and less experienced. So I think it's, it's accurate, even though she may think of herself as a partner, I think it's accurate to call her a sidekick. Um, and she's going to learn from him and be a hero. And like him, she doesn't have any powers, but she's aces with a bow and arrow. Um, and she does eventually get a span in uh, Fractions run that's all her own. Volume 3, L.A. Woman, is all about Kate. Hmm. Um, and she's great. I mean, she 
has been called by Clint Barton himself like a better Hawkeye than Hawkeye. Uh, so I, I, she like I think like Dick Grayson, she's a really good example of a sidekick that uh, quote unquote graduates um, into being a hero in her own right. Uh, but yeah, what I love, one of the things I love about her is that she's a female sidekick who doesn't really get captured and she doesn't get fridged, which is awesome. <laughs> and and that I think, her, like Dick Grayson, and like many good sidekick relationships is, you know, even if she thinks herself as a partner, she also, it's definitely a mentor-mentee relationship. And I think that, that that sort of has a large role to play of, like, how the mentor treats the mentee, which usually is the sidekick. Um, you know, rarely would that be inverted. Um, yeah. You know, and this goes back, like I said, to, to the Iliad, but it also goes back to, like, Sherlock Holmes. Um, like, Watson can definitely hold his own, but he also learns the skill of deduction or whatever um, from Holmes. Um, so, like, I, I think that that's sort of a... a a foundational underpinning to a healthy sidekick relationship in a way that eventually the sidekick can, as you put it, graduate. Yeah, I do. I do want to point out TV tropes has a, a sidekick sub trope called the hyper competent sidekick, mm. uh, which they define as the underling who's much smarter, more efficient and more industrious than their uh, boss. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I think can apply. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, sidekick inversions. Mm. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to read Nimona, I, I think for all of us it was a reread, um, but uh, for the fact that you have a character that starts, I mean, she waltzes into his castle and says, I'm going to be your sidekick now. And, for <laughs> and he all... spends the first half of the book being like, no, you're not. Please, no, you're not. Please. No, you're not. <laughs> um. But she she is definitely a character that starts as like, I'm going to help you do your stuff and eventually decides that your stuff isn't drastic enough and starts doing her own stuff. Um, so I, I think that over the course of the book, she moves out of the sidekick role and into her. I don't know. You, I mean, you're right, Pete. She's not the bad guy. If you were going to if you were going to D&D. Uh, align all of those characters she would definitely be chaotic neutral i think yep. rather than chaotic evil um but this idea of kind of inverting the sidekick trope i i wonder if adventure time could fall into that a little bit at least for the episodes where um jake and finn kind of trade off the uh the adventure role or not yeah. sorry not adventure the hero role haha <laughs> 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 you know when when finn is uh incapacitated in some way and jake ends up having to take over like do we do we feel that jake ever uh takes over the hero role in his own right or do we think that by virtue of being a sidekick he can't like unless he graduates and permanently becomes a hero if jake is going to if jake is just permanently um aligned in the sidekick role yeah and i think to bring that up i feel like he does fit into that hyper competent sidekick role because there are a few times where you see finn do something and jake's just like no don't do that <laughs> <laughs> right 
I, I think that's right. I think his is, like, part of the role of a good sidekick in the hands of a good writer is that he will get his boss out of any sort of problems, right? Um, but I don't think that that means that that makes that person no longer a sidekick. I think it's, like Haley said, it's a case of a hyper-competent sidekick rather than assuming the mantle of the main character. Whereas I think yeah. I, I think you're right that Nimona is definitely a case where um, you she starts as a sidekick and then she becomes something else. Yeah, she moves from like sidekick to independent agent to chaotic force of nature <laughs> <laughs> to the conflict of the story. I, mean, I so, love her. So that's a good point. Like a lot of a lot of sidekicks, and Nimona is a great example. They um, they drive the plot forward. Like without her, multiple times in that book, without her, um, nothing would have changed. Like the status quo would not have changed. Um, Ambrosius. Although usually, sorry. Uh, I I said Ambrosius, but who's the who's the actual main character? Uh, the 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 evil. Quote unquote the evil guy. Scientist? Oh, Ballister. Ballister. Um, Ballister Blackheart. Yeah. Um, like, Ballister would have just kept being a mediocre villain scientist and getting beat by uh, Golden Loins. Um, and it would have been fine. Like, you know, he needs that, that push from outside, that hero's journey thing to change it up. And that is the sidekick, who then becomes, as you say, a chaotic force of nature. Although, interestingly, I think that sidekicks tend to drive the story in a passive way and i think mm -hmm. nimona drives the story in a very active way yeah by by like, passive way do you mean is... like oh no he's been kidnapped i need to go save him yes okay um although damien in batman is another example of a sidekick that drives the story in a very active way <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah he is a very reluctant sidekick i think yeah, I, I think in his mind, he's not the sidekick. Batman's the sidekick. Um, and he's has no qualms about making that perfectly clear. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well that's all the time we have on this week's episode. Kaylee, what is our topic for next episode? The topic for next week's episode is called Sacrifice. <laughs> very upbeat for sacrifice. I was going to say, that was very perky. <laughs> <laughs> Kaylee's into sacrifices. Um, Kaylee, what's your homework assignment for that? My homework assignment is the book The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle. All right, and Martha, what is your homework assignment? Uh, my homework assignment is the Puella Magi Madoka Magica movie part one called Beginnings, which you can find streaming on Netflix. All right. And my homework assignment in honor of Logan, which we did not talk about, but wow, we should have talked about it in this episode. And <laughs> Oh, my God, we should have. <laughs> um, uh, so in honor of that, uh, I'm going to assign an older X-Men movie, uh, X2 colon X-Men United. Uh, which is the second X-Men movie. Um, and we will re be reconvening in two weeks, which gives you plenty of time to do your homework. As always, the topic and homework assignments can be found at our website, homeworkpodcast.com. 
You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and wherever else fine podcasts can be found. Please rate and review us if you like the show. Uh, That's what drives the iTunes algorithms, makes us able to be found by other people. So if you like the show, rate and review us. And as soon as somebody actually writes us a review, I will read them aloud on this podcast. There we go. You could be a feature. Ditto for any questions, comments, or concerns that we get um, on the Facebook page or tweeted at us. Anything that you guys send to us will be included on the show, so please send us stuff. Wouldn't that be exciting? Our home on the web is uh, homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast, and we've got a Facebook page as well. If you want to get in touch with us other than through Facebook or Twitter, you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. All three of those are great ways to get in touch with us. Uh, Martha, where can we find you online? Uh, Before I tell you that, I just have to say real fast that suddenly I'm really upset that we didn't dedicate an entire segment of this episode to talking about Wolverine and his spat of younger girl sidekicks. Anyway. And for me specifically, Logan, (laughs) because I just want to talk about that movie a lot. I know, but he had like six of them, and they were all awesome. Like like Kitty Pride. Yeah, Kitty Pride, Jubilee for a while... Um, I'm going to hesitate X-23. about the awesome adjective, but continue. Okay, you, you know what? <laughs> she headlines in an X-Men team book that's all women, and she's kind of a vampire, and she's awesome. So <laughs> right, I'm right. on board I am on board the Jubilee train. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Magical Martha. Cool. And uh, Kaylee, where can we find you online? <laughs> you can find me online at Tricky Lemon. On, that is on Instagram. And uh, you can tweet at me at Pico3000, P-I-K-O 3000. Thanks a lot for listening, and we will be uh, coming back to you in two weeks to talk about sacrifice. Make sure you do your homework before then. How the or you'll we, be how, sacrificed. <laughs> how the hell do we actually end the show? <laughs> um, do your homework. Do your end. homework. There we go. Bye. Bye.